Ladies and gentlemen, Theology on Mission podcast, welcome back to the studio at Northern Seminary. Mike Moore is sitting across the room here. He's looking pretty good. And I'm Dave Fitch, and uh, we're here to talk about Theology on Mission, the questions of culture. Excuse me, how do I do that line again? Mm -hmm. Engaging culture for Christ and his kingdom. Engaging the questions of culture for Christ and his kingdom. How about that? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. It, so, does, it does change a lot, but it's is good. The, is the actual uh, tagline that we were using down in the old studio still? Yeah. <laughs> I think I better go down there before next podcast and get it. Because we're kind of losing it on the tagline. Oh, man. We got a lot going on. We that's do. okay. Yeah. Well, here we are again, and uh, it's Northern Seminary. And we're at the end of the quarter. Did you have a good quarter? Mike I had a Moore? good quarter, yeah. What I do you had mean some, by good quarter? Did some you? fun working with a couple students on their thesis, just wrapping up the introductory stages of it. And you just got done teaching your last class last night, right? Uh, last night. Uh, uh, today is Tuesday. I teach. I taught sexual ethics on Monday nights for 10 straight nights. And I think the consensus was last night that we needed another 10 weeks. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I mean, class on sexual ethics, you could you could talk about that every week. There is so much that we cover in that class, and we try to do it in a dialogical way. Um, and we're not just reading, like, queer theory or uh, uh, gender theory or sociocultural theory or post-structuralist theory for the sake of reading it. We're actually reading it to understand how gender, mm-hmm. sexuality, attraction works within different frameworks and how that might be the clue to yeah. open up space for the gospel of Jesus Christ to work and redeem and heal and... Uh, you know, work in people's lives for the kingdom in their sexuality and gender. Mm-hmm. So it was a great class, but Good. admittedly, we could easily go another 10 weeks. Or I don't know if I could, <laughs> but the class could. And, yes. Uh, yeah. I'm a little, I'm a, are you a little tired at the end of a quarter? I'm tired. Yeah, I'm just tired all the time now. But wait a yeah, minute. You're of, tired all the time? At the, I don't know why. I think I'm just tired. You know, just been running hard. But I'm doing a little vacation next week. I'm working, but I'm not going to be here in Chicago. I'm going to be in L.A., so I'm looking forward no to No that. way. That's right. Going out to L.A. Going to work for a couple days out there. Are you going out there to visit somebody? Mm-hmm. Got a friend out there. We're going to camp for a few days. Camp? Uh, yeah. Okay, you just said uh, I was all excited for you. I was raring to go. I was going to join you. Really? Until you said the word camp. I didn't know you I'm were such. Now. I didn't know you were such a fan of L.A. <laughs> I love I love visiting L.A. I love visiting Pasadena Fuller Seminary. I yes. teach there once every. I used to teach there once every year, with uh, COVID nineteen. It's been a bit irregular, but uh, I'll be back uh, in twenty twenty three. But you know, I love going there. But I don't want to camp. Don't don't no no. <laughs> this Heck is where no. you and I are different. But yeah, yeah, I love camping. All right. So the subject of today, folks, is uh, scripture interpretation as shaped. By your social location. Oof. I think that actually rhymes a it little bit. It did. Let me say it again. Scripture interpretation as shaped by your social location. Scripture interpretation, <laughs> social location. Anyways, 
Yeah, yeah, I feel like we're on a march. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I thought I was doing like a rap or something. Yeah, yeah, I think that didn't it have a little groove. Th- that definitely sounded like rap. Yeah, and this is all occasioned by Jonathan Lehman uh, writing a nine marks piece entitled "Defending Sound Doctrine Against." Deconstruction of American evangelicalism. Yeah, and I don't want to make fun of Mr. Lehman. Lehman's a serious yeah. person with serious, sincere uh, arguments, and we want to engage them. But I am a little surprised at the idea that biblical exegesis, according to Lehman, freed from one's social location, is the source of sound doctrine have you ever run into that in your many years many many years mike more of of being a pastor have i ever run into trying to divorce social location from faithful biblical ex jesus right basically yes uh actually no no i mean oh wow Wow. i i've lived a very charmed life (laughs) i was gonna say sheltered life but you said charm uh, I will say this, the idea of literal interpretation. Yes. What we need to do to solve our disagreements is have literal interpretation. I have heard that more than uh, once in uh, certain sectors of our culture in the United States of America. Yes. If we have a literal interpretation of the Bible, that will lead to all truth. To all truth in a faithful church. And that truth will be uh, extracted from culture, won't be harmed by culture or influenced by culture, and this so-called literal interpretation then can be applied to a culture, uh, dare I say, in dictatorial fashion. Yes, extract the truth from the Bible, and you can apply it to anywhere, all places, at all times. And it kind of surprised me that this hermeneutic, I'll call it a naive hermeneutic, mm-hmm is alive and well in these sectors of our church, including nine marks. Yeah. Uh, what do you do when someone says we need a literal interpretation? Oh, gosh. Um, I would ask the question, how do you arrive at a, a literal interpretation? How do you literally interpret Scripture? Show literally. Me how, sh- literally. Show me how you literally interpret Scripture. Yeah, sometimes... Uh, I just say in a kind of sincere voice, which literal interpretation? Yeah, yeah, that's good. I was gonna, yeah, another way to do it is to say, well, I have a, you know, there's a different literal interpretation that this person has. You know. Right. And then sometimes I might just say, uh, do you read Hebrew? And that always yeah, causes yeah, problems. Yeah, that, that, that throws us What's off. What's the literal interpretation right. of this text right. in Hebrew? Whose who's interpretation of which interpretation <laughs> are we interpreting? You know, so we, we just, it's just like uh, context-less interpretation just seems to be impossible. It, it almost seems like it misses the point of interpretation. Yeah, but what's, the, what's the saying? Every text... Without context is a pretext? No. Every interpretation of a text apart from context is a pretext. I think uh, that's how it goes. That's pretty uh, snazzy. Yeah, yeah. Rhyme. it's it not me. A, it has some rhymes. Uh, uh, could you explain what you mean by pretext? Yeah, anytime we're um, interpreting a scripture, 
um, apart from its context and apart from our context. Uh, if we just try to interpret scripture apart from those things, then we're bringing our own pretext, our own preconceived notions, our cultural assumptions into the interpretation. Yeah. So uh, this is important for our contextual theology program because uh, really important to know uh, you know, where we're coming from, where our social location is, what drives or influences our particular history of interpretation that mm-hmm. we are working out of so that we can at least understand those dynamics as we enter into new contexts so the Holy Spirit can speak anew, not just impose my interpretation or translation into another context yeah. without listening to the context. Yeah, yeah. Is that too complicated? I think I said context. 22 times in the last five minutes. Yeah, I don't think it, I don't think it's too complicated. I think it is complicated to do, though. Um, I think it's I think it for me it's straightforward to understand, but to actually do, I think that's the complicated part. Yeah, and so uh, John Lehman, spelled L E E M A N, uh, wrote this nine marks article uh, entitled. Do you have the title? Yes, uh, the title is, is um, uh, here. De- it is. Yeah, yeah. I think we. Oh, defending sound, sound doctrine, doctrine against the deconstruction of American evangelicalism. Yeah, and we can put that in the show notes. But uh, I mean, one of the main points he's making is um, that uh, uh, so there's these five books that David Gushy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and David Gushy, I say, I think he's an ex. He would he would say he's an ex post, no longer evangelical. Right. Uh, and you know, I don't agree with everything Dave says, uh, but he refers to five books about gender and race uh, in relation to white evangelicalism. And Lehman no- makes note of them: mm-hmm. Jesus and John Wayne by Kristen yep. Gobes Demez, and we all know about that book. The Making of Biblical. Womanhood by Beth Allison Barr, The Color of Comp- Compromise by Jamar Tisby, Taking America Back for God by Andrew Whitehead and Sam Perry, and Worldview Whiteness and the Future of Evangelical Faith by Jacob Allen Cook. And Lehman uh, makes this point that um, none of these books actually make their arguments out of biblical studies or based on the text. The deconstruction project doesn't begin as a conversation about the Bible. Um, it's not so we're not arguing over issues, cultural issues, racism, gender, etc., based on what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. And we're not arguing about what I think the Bible says versus what you you think the Bible says. He says we are arguing out of our own experiences and putting them onto the Bible. And yeah. so he says, it's not my understanding of the Bible versus your understanding of the Bible. It's my understanding of the Bible versus your story mm-hmm. and how that story interprets the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you do you uh, get what he's saying here? I get, I get what he's saying. I'm talking about John Lehman now. Yeah, I, I get what he's saying. He's saying um, none of these books came out of a biblical studies department. They didn't come from biblical scholars. We're actually not... Um, debating ideas on the same level. He's saying, I'm talking about the Bible. You're talking about cultural stories or autobiography or history. So we're talking about two different things is what I hear him saying. And I'm also interpreting him as 
claiming a high ground because he is doing biblical studies. Uh, you know, he's saying, I'm doing biblical studies. You're not. So because of that, uh, he's disqualifying their, yeah. their approach and their arguments. Uh, let's stick to the Bible is basically his yeah. argument. And, and and here's here's what Mike Bird's article, and I can't remember what the uh, title of Bird's yeah, article is. Yeah, I got it right here, too. Uh, do you have Bird's article? We're, we'll put these both in the show. <laughs> we have lots of articles here. Uh, Bird's <clears throat> argument or, uh, article is, some parts of evangelicalism do not need to be deconstructed. They need to be destroyed. Yeah, and not to be distracted by Bird's uh, kind of, you know, uh, argument there, uh, which some of us might agree with, uh, whether evangelicalism evangelicalism needs to be destroyed or not. Uh, but there is an important point here that Byrd, I think, is is arguing with mm-hmm. Lehman, and that is that these people, all five of these books and the authors they represent, are really trying to tell the histories of how the Bible was used to institutionalize and justify racism, patriarchy, abuse, by males over females, and how the Bible got ensconced yeah. in a social location. And that's really the point I want to work with here mm. just for a few minutes. Because, folks, I think all of us pastors, all of us preachers of the gospel, all of us entering into contexts to proclaim gospel in various places need to first understand and look at where our social location is and how it shapes how we view the gospel, how we interpret scripture and the gospel. And so social location, you can't escape. It's part of doing good uh, interpretation of the Bible. Right, right. Yeah. One of the, uh, one of my favorite examples of this is uh, Al Robotos. He's a, uh, passed away recently, I think. Uh, but Al was at Boston University, or I think Boston University History of Religions Department, uh, and he wrote a book, uh, A Fire in My Bones. And in it, he compares white colonialist interpretation of the Exodus hmm. with the historic black slavery church hmm. interpretation of the same texts. And, and so if you want to have a discussion with somebody, start right here with the difference between white colonialist interpretation of the Exodus versus black enslaved people's understanding of the same text. And I think it's so, I think yeah. I read this, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago, <laughs> in the 90s sometime. White colonialists interpreted their journey across the Atlantic as the Exodus to a new Israel. Interesting. And there was this guy named John Winthrop. I learned about him in high school. Uh, one of the first pilgrims, or he wasn't a pilgrim, but he was a early settler. Yeah. Uh, what, did, what, what was the Massachusetts Bay Colony called? It was called the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he was ahead of it. And he interpreted like Moses' farewell passage in Deuteronomy 30 to uh, uh, he applied it to the colonialist passage into America to establish a new Israel, a promised land, the promised land. And he said, if we keep the covenant, if, you know, to his credit, if we do justice, seek mercy, be meek, gentle, generous, seek unity in the possession of this land, God will be faithful and flourish us in this land. But this is basically what drove 
the interpretation of America as an exceptional nation, yeah. a light uh, to the world, a right. nation right. of destiny, a promised land to bring the gospel to the world. Mm-hmm. And so you can see how uh, the white colonialists, from the very beginning, um, interpreted Exodus via their journey across the Atlantic. On the other hand, it's a very different journey across the Atlantic. Exactly. The Middle Passage, the black mm-hmm. s- the slave peoples interpret America itself as the Egypt part right. of the story. Right. Uh, the land enslaving them and oppressing black peoples. Hmm. And so for them, America stood under the ju- – just as Egypt stood under the judgment of God, America right. stood under the judgment hmm. of God. And they believed – they saw God was liberating his people, their, the black enslaved peoples of America, from this enslavement. And this interpretation, of course, contradicted the white interpretation right. of the Bible of the same text. And, um, so, and, and we all know that some of those, interpret, those white colonialist interpretations that followed Winthrop a hundred years later, um, you know, uh, they actually were read to as as black peoples were intended to be the servants and slaves of white masters. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was just all this difference between the way the two texts were interpreted. Um, and I gotta say, uh, going going, we're going to talk about uh, uh, Dr. Hatch's church. New Mount Pilgrim Baptist Church on the west side where we're going to see Willie Jennings in June. Uh, sign up now, folks. Uh, there's some great uh, windows, glass, yeah. uh, stained glass windows, depicting how God was working to overcome the oppression and suffering of the black peoples in the Middle Passage. you got to see this church. That's stunning. And, yeah. and so they were interpreting the Exodus passage quite differently mm-hmm. than the colonialist passage. And and this is so important then. I don't see how it can be denied yeah. that our social location has a role to play in how right. we see and understand texts. What by the way, it so encourages me. It so blesses me to see how black, the black church. By the way, Esau Macaulay is uh, reading while black is that the name of the book? Mm-hmm. Yep, oh, I've got it right here. I'm terrible at, at uh, titles and names of books now. Uh, uh, reading while black uh, goes into the black church tradition of interpretation, mm-hmm. but it's so encouraging to see a people that are that had to suffer so much uh, through be through knowing Jesus as Lord in their lives were able to overcome. And, and so much, and of course, there's much, much more to do. Yeah. But it's encouraging to see what how people's faithfulness over time is preserved through a reading of the text. Hmm. What were you going to say? Well, I was just going to ask a question, and I, it, it's honest and curious. What, what's at stake for not recognizing your social location? Like what? Because I truly don't understand it. Like, why would it be a bad thing to recognize your social location? In interpreting a text, what, what's at stake when you recognize your social location? Yeah, uh, I, I'll just speak for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you grow up, 
especially in my generation, as a white person and receiving a very uh, culturally dominant interpretation of, let's say, uh, salvation, soteriology, justification by faith. If you were brought up under the influence of Billy Graham, Billy Graham went and did the same thing he did in Toronto in my my neck of the woods growing up, as mm-hmm. he did in Pittsburgh, as he did in L.A. Yep. He did the same thing over in Africa. He did the same thing in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the temptation is to, uh, um, you know, parachute drop your interpretation into a situation that it doesn't connect to. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need to connect the gospel. Right now, we're not living in a hegemonic culture. In the 1960s, white people thought they were living in a hegemonic culture, even though large parts of oppressed <coughs> communities and cultures, and especially uh, black persons in the South and other places in the United States were being oppressed. But we thought, white people, that we were in a hegemonic culture mm-hmm. and therefore the same the same soteriology the same salvation the same message of conversion applied that we gave to each other we could give to anybody and it would be equally the same yeah equally yeah. effective but no the gospel must be proclaimed in all languages all cultures and this is probably the subject of another podcast mm-hmm. but we cannot assume that our language and the way we've conceptualized and understood salvation in Jesus Christ is the same for us as it is for everybody. And if we don't do the contextual work, the world should not be engaged with the gospel. Right, right. Yeah. Did that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Um, I think, to me, that just seems so obvious um, that there are different interpretations of text because of plurality of cultures, interpretations stories, so to speak, that there's a variety of biblical interpretations. I mean, that's been, I think, I think that's almost been obvious for the last hundred years in evangelicalism, that there's competing interpretations. And this is not a bad thing. No, no, it's not a bad thing. And I, I, I do think that there's some power that's at stake for some people to recognize their social location. It might mean having to give up some power and some influence, um, and I do recognize that that's probably scary and that's threatening to some people, but I am fully convinced that that's the way of the kingdom and that's the way to faithful interpretation is by recognizing your location. And, um, you know, we talked about it on the last podcast, but submitting that um, to discernment with other people who might disagree with you. Right. Um, I think there is, well, Angela Parker, um, mm-hmm. uh black womanist theologian wrote the book if god still breathes why can't i i recommend the book Mm -hmm. uh chapter two she talks about how inerrancy was used as a protective strategy to insulate white interpretations from competing views and and what she is illustrating for us is how certain interpretations of scripture and soteriology can uh, be ensconced in the way white people preserve their status, dare I say, their supremacy in a culture, mm-hmm. and and no need to apologize for it. Yeah, yeah. You know, if if uh, 
if salvation's all about where do you go when you die, and it has nothing to do with the present existing circumstances, that the world's sinful and all we can do is manage our sin and mm-hmm. do the best we can and overcome sin, that enables you to uh, maintain a uh, amount of wealth and security over against those who don't have it uh, and keep yourself safe. Yeah, it, it insulates you from being faithful. We have really started going down a bunch of rabbit trails here. I know, I know. I, I, I was just going to start talking about eschatology, but yeah, keep us I mean, on we track. We go on and on, on about track. how interpretation, how we have to recognize our social location and hear from those who are not us. I'm not just talking about white people. I'm talking about all different cultures, even different cultures of white people. We have to listen to each other as to what drives our understanding of certain issues. By the way, uh, I think we've talked about in this podcast before the igthus meeting or it seems good to us and it seems good to the holy spirit and to Mm -hmm. us and how we come to a consensus in the church when we have different interpretations of scripture and the first part of that is recognizing where we're coming from in our own interpretation Mm -hmm. versus where the person across the room is coming from what drives our interpretation where the location is and that work is what unwinds things so that we can come to an understanding of where god is leading us now in this particular issue this is so important in relation to gender issues so important in relation to sexuality issues race issues socioeconomic issues this is the way the church has got to be led going forward Forward. If you want to learn more about it, D-Min Contextual Theology <laughs> nice at plug. Northern Seminary. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> uh, it, it, no, I, I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm just having a moment of self-reflection. Um, it's also really important, I think, if you are going to read the Bible and if you are reading the Gospels and you are trying to understand who Jesus is and who Jesus was, the first time this was ever exposed to me, early 2000s i was probably i was like 17 years old and this is my introduction to this uh philip yancey wrote this book um uh the jesus i never knew but you know it's not an academic book but it was just kind of exploring like the jewishness of jesus and this was new to me i was like jesus jesus was a jew like, oh, like wait, wow. wait 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 what yeah. and, and like it's socially located jesus in this myriad of politics economics cultural norms and it started to you know give me this three-dimensional shape of jesus so for me this this is just what you do when you are incarnating the gospel when you are reading it when you're understanding your location i think we learn that from recognizing jesus's own social location and how important that is for us uh, in our faithful reading of Scripture. Absolutely. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, here's what's happening in our culture. We are no longer a unified, monolithic culture. I don't think we ever were, but a lot of us thought we were, Mm -hmm. say, 50 years ago. No, there are multiple cultures where we live. Uh, Most of us do not live especially if we live in an urban context, we are confronted with multiple cultures. And so we have to learn, if we're going to engage the world for the gospel, we have to learn 
how to deconstruct our own social location. What is at stake? What is the agenda at work in our own interpretations so that we could just clear a path for a new and deeper understanding of what this text might mean as we extend it into the surrounding culture that we're engaging. So let me go. You know, we're running out of time. I think we got off. uh, (laughs) This is such an important topic. But And we'll maybe do another pod. If somebody gives us a review and says, please explore A, B, and C some more, we can do that. We can even have Lynn Coick on, who teaches uh, this subject, Dennis Edwards on, Esau McCauley, Reading While Black. But anyways, let me just say, there are are a couple of lines of, of, of interpretation of Scripture that I just like to emphasize. Theological interpretation recognizes that we are all coming out of a history, a theological history of interpretation. Uh, Jonathan Lehman says, I come out of a reformed history of interpretation. He acknowledges it. And so we've got to learn our own histories of where we're coming from. Reformed interpretation, we'll look Mm -hmm. at texts soteriological text differently Mm -hmm. than a Wesleyan view of the interpreter versus a neo-Orthodox versus a Catholic. Are you aware of that? Can you just be aware of your history and where out of, because every history has a social location. Yes. Every history has an issue it was trying to engage in its society. The Reformation happened in Europe after the Catholic breakdown, after the breakdown of the Roman Catholic Church and its corruption and its malaise and its all this stuff going on. So we got to know. Can we start there? What's the history of interpretation? Mm-hmm. What and, and and then secondly, there's there's a, I call it a sociological uh, issue of interpretation. Uh, James Meeks does some of this, but I, it's just important to know the social location as a factor in one's interpretation. How does power, privilege, how does those lenses? of one's ideological space affect how one looks at um, uh, one's interpretation. For theological interpretation, I uh, I recommend Daniel Trier from Wheaton College. He's written a book on it. Stephen Fowles written a book on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, This book I have here by David Steinmetz, there's a great uh, essay on it. Uh, Taking the Long View is the name of the group of essays. Darn it, I wish I had the actual name of the essay, but we can have that in the, in yep. the show notes. Um, for for a sociologic, social location, I think the introduction to Esau Macaulay's book on Reading While Black is a great introduction to those issues. And then you have the contextual issues of interpretation. What are we communicating the text into in terms of context? And I recommend Janine Brown's book, Scripture as Communication. Mm-hmm. That's one of Lynn Coick's favorite books books when she's teaching the course. It, our students really loved it in the last um, uh, seminar on hermeneutics and interpretation mm-hmm. of Scripture. And I also recommend Mike Gorman's book. Uh, Mike edited the book, Scripture and Its Interpretation, A Global Ecumenical Introduction to the Bible. I know that's a lot of stuff, folks. It's good recommendations. But can we, can we kind of sum up in a few sentences, Mike Moore, <laughs> what we've been trying to get at here with the whole debate between Jonathan Lehman and Michael Byrd on deconstructing 
doctrine in evangelical faith and the and the role of scripture and its interpretation in that process. Right, Sum yeah. it up. Give it. Give me your best. Three sentences in three sentences. I'm gonna do or it. Less. I'm gonna do it in one sentence. No way. If Jesus was socially located, so am I. How's that? Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> sounded good, but I'm trying to think. Uh, oh, mercy. <laughs> okay, uh, let me try. Um, as we lead a congregation and a community and a family uh, into the world via Scripture, and we face all the challenges of culture, we must be able to understand not only the original authorial intent of Scripture in mm -hmm. its original context, we must understand how social location, theological history, and context impact the way we teach the Bible to our church to lead them into mission. Hmm. Mine was, my, was, mine was shorter. That was one sentence. <laughs> that was a Pauline sentence right there. <laughs> that was a Karl Barth sentence if there ever was one. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we hope uh, you've gotten the importance of how uh, scripture interpretation cannot be just uh, something enforced on people through your expertise and your authorial intent, but actually is a cultural exercise worked out in community. And we hope that we've just be given you a bunch of resources to maybe help you think that yeah. through a little better. It's the best we could do in a half an hour on Theology <laughs> on Mission podcast. Do you have any announcements before we wrap this up, Mike Moore? Uh, no announcements. Uh, Breed Lectures 2022. They're going to be good. Willie Jennings. Willie Jennings. Uh, looking forward to that. Um Still taking students for the Theology and Mission Master's program here at Northern. Do you have any spots for your... I think we have two spots now open for the DMIN and Contextual Theology program, which starts June 2022. Right. But it's best that we get you in here in the next month. So if mm -hmm. you have any inkling... Uh, of doing it, uh, let us know. We have three or four people, I think, applying for those two positions, but yeah. I don't know to what degree they're inter actually yeah. interested. Yeah. yeah, we'd love to have you here. I think that's it. All right, everyone. Uh, again, uh, we wish you, uh, uh, oh, by the way, uh, Brian Zahn put it this way, we wish you a slow and pregnant advent. All right. <laughs> From Theology on Mission podcast, folks, we wish you a slow and pregnant advent. So it's over and out. It's Mike Moore and Dave Fitch. Till next time. <laughs>